0: Sox on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Sox on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. We'll be joined by MLB.com and White Sox insider Scott Merkin a little bit later in the episode. But for now, I'm joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower, I didn't say anything mean about you guys this week, so yeah, I was gonna good.
1: say it's it's the same intro though, but for now, just deal yeah. with these two clowns and <laughs>
0: you you can thank me later i'm 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 in a good mood, I'm another year older, so gentlemen, how are we doing?
1: Well, first of all, happy birthday, second of all, doing good baseball season for the high school or the high school season is back in full form, so they're keeping me busy. I'm excited. Looking forward to it. A little bit more positivity
0: from that standpoint than for the White Sox season, probably. Well, why can I just imagine Laz just standing and like yelling at younger kids being like, run those poles! run those <laughs> poles!" <laughs> it's more so stop losing all the
1: plyo balls that we keep purchasing and you can't, and I can't find them. But yeah, that's what I yell about.
2: Yeah. Uh, Do happy birthday. And I've been good too. I mean, it's. I just went on a quick little vacation to New Orleans to try to get out of the Chicago February weather, which was ironic because while I was gone, the weather was the exact same in the two locations. But uh, otherwise, doing well and excited to talk White Sox baseball again. You know, it's it's it doesn't feel like it should be here because so many players are still unsigned, and I feel like for whatever reason, the offseason kind of went by quicker than usual. But it's it's here and. I'm excited to also have more uh, regular episodes near near weekly at this point, but eventually weekly.
0: Yeah, uh, man, a vacation sounds really nice. Uh, just went on two sales trips, went went to one in Iowa and went to one in Indiana, um, have stories that I that I had down there that I'll probably tell my grandchildren one day for all the right and wrong reasons. But I, I would like to just go somewhere and forget about everything for a while, maybe even go down to spring training one of these years. But great to hear, gentlemen. We have uh, quite a bit to cover in this episode, you know, we have Scott coming on, but before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else to get your podcasts. Also be sure to check out the website, sockson 35thcom as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at sockson 35thcom we're, we're just going to jump right into the interview with Scott Merkin. Um, it, it's, it's a, it was a really, re- really good interview. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Um I I will preface this by saying, uh, if you're an Ohio State fan, you might want to cover your ears. Scott is a huge Michigan fan, and uh, while he didn't get out of bounds with it, he definitely uh, wanted to remind us early on in the pod. So without further ado, Scott Merkin. All right, guys, we are now joined by MLB White Sox beat writer, Scott Merkin. Scott, friend of the show, it's nice to have you back again. How's it treating you, buddy?
3: Glad to be here. You know, I think people are really going to start to figure now that all I own is Michigan clothing, and they're not that far off, but I do have some nicer stuff, but I think on like every appearance I've made in the last two months, it's, man, I'm going to wear this thing out. I never thought I'd, aside from the 97 split title, I never thought I'd see a championship, so I'm going to wear this. Into, people are already annoyed, so I might as well just go a little deeper, right? I mean, what what more can I do at this point, so... Um, but it's good to be, it's good to be here.
1: If you need to diversify your portfolio, I can get you a good Notre Dame hoodie sometime soon. Uh, you're, you're breaking uh, up. I, gotta a gotta bit. It. I can't, I can't hear, I
3: can't hear you. Jamie. Oh yeah. Is that, so? Is that so? Is that so?
0: Well, you know, I, I think, I think I speak for uh, most fans of the big 10 when I can say that at least you guys beat Ohio state. Yes. Most of us can't stand them. You know, I mean.
3: Don't like Michigan, but we definitely really don't like Ohio State's kind of in a position in a different way than what Michigan was last year. Michigan had everyone came back, you know, Corum came back, McCarthy came back, a lot of defensive players, very veteran team, and their goal was to win it, and they won it. Now Ohio State spent all this money, you know, on the I guess it's NIL, right, Um, to get these transfers in there, and you know they added the quarterback from Kansas State, which is a normal process. That's what happens, you know, but they're pretty much win it all, or it's it's like the Dodgers, right? Either got to win it all or it's, you know, it's not a quite a, the successful season that you have. I mean, you know, Dodgers win 105 games and get to the World Series and lose, and that would be a successful season. So I suppose if Ohio State gets to the Final Four, gets to the championship and loses, it's still successful. But, you know, they can't have a two or three loss season and say, well, it was a good run. You know, they got to, they, they gotta at the very least, get into this new playoff format with what they've done.
0: Yeah, and I mean, they've looked like completely different basketball teams since they fired their head coach, but... Unfortunately, I can go all day about this. This isn't a college basketball podcast. This is a Chicago White Sox
3: podcast. So, (laughs) we can talk more about Michigan if you want, though. No, I'm I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm good. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I just clear up one thing I do not have the express permission to use Blake Coram's name as it is on the screen. So, it's just in tribute to him and his 25 touchdowns this year. (laughs) Just want him to know that I'm not stealing his name, I'm just borrowing it in in celebration.
0: You know, usually, you know, a guy like Blake Corm, he's coming out of co- coming out of college, maybe 21, 22 years. Ironically, you put out a tweet today saying that you've been doing this for 22 years.
3: <laughs> yes, I have. I, I figured it out by the amount of manager years. 8 Ozzy, 5 Robin, so that's 13, 4 Ricky, 17, 2 for Tony and Miguel Cairo, 19. Second one for Pedro, 21, and then my first year was Jerry Manuel. I started in 03.
0: Jerry, Jerry Manuel is, like, really when I started really jumping heavy into the White Sox, so that's that's kind of that's cool, actually. I, I, I liked him.
3: You know, it's funny. People people forget, like, 03, they were in it until the final two weeks of the season. 04, they had a really good team, and then everyone started getting hurt, and the Twins ended up cruising to the division. Yeah, it was the Twins, I'm pretty sure. And then 05 was the season, obviously. And then 06, they were great in the first half. And just, you know, as a lot of teams that win the World Series just kind of uh, lost their wind in the second half. I think they were like 25 over at the break, right? I mean, Detroit was ridiculous. They were like 32 over. And then the Twins in 06 had that unbelievable finish, like 36 or last 46 they won. 07 kind of was a, was a rough year, although a fun year to cover the team. And then 08 was, you know, maybe Ozzy's best managerial year, just getting in the playoffs that year with all the injuries they had. Well, I
0: think I think if you put the White Sox, uh, Detroit, and Minnesota, if you put one of those teams into the AL Central of last year, they run away with that division. That that division was from absolutely that from stacked. that time.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, without a doubt, without a yeah. doubt. I mean, th- the one thing to remember, though, and I guess we'll t- probably talk about it more, is you know, and I'm one of the ones who's talked up the AL Central. The Sox have talked up the AL Central as they're kind of lifeline but the team that wins doesn't win with like 81 wins you know the Sox won with what 92 and 21 the Guardians had 93 because they had that great September they went 21 and 8 I think in 22 and the Twins ended up winning 86 87 some of it was fattening up by the AL Central but hey they won a series too right in the postseason so you know I mean you you can say the AL Central keeps you afloat but you got to be able to swim to win the division eventually you know you're not going to you're not going to get in there with a 77 to 85 record.
0: Yeah. I I always like calling it the, uh, the NFC North. I mean, even yes. regionally the NFC North of baseball, where it's even if the team kind of sputters in to the rest of the NFL, they, they, they're still a team you got to keep an eye on. But, um, you know, you've been, been around for 22 years now, hit, hit a lot of, uh, hit a lot of white Sox spring training, different things like
3: that. What, what's one of your favorite stories from spring training just throughout the years? Well, I think we were talking about this today. Uh, I can't remember the exact year. It was maybe, was it 07? I think it was 07, where the Sox had like nine lefty relievers in camp. And they were all, you know, decent enough. I mean, you get there, you you get to the majors, you're really a really good player to begin with. and But none of them were really selling themselves to make the team. They had a B game in the backfields. That would have been Tucson back then. And so TEP and Boone Logan, who was an A-ball minor leaguer who no one really knew of, Struck out Jim Tomey and Rob Makoviak in that B game. And as he called him up and said, you know, as he brought him to the big league camp and said, let's see what you got kid. And he made the team. He went from not even being invited to spring training, not really being known. I mean, I don't even know if, you know, I know how many people are deep into farm systems now, probably not quite as much 17 years ago, but made the team, made the team over Javier Lopez. who ended up winning a world series, I believe with the Red Sox, or was it the Giants? One, one of the two he won a world series with. But that was a great story. And then, of course, there was the um, the whole story about Adam Dunn, who great, great guy, by the way, besides just an amazingly natural talent. When he was uh, he had a, a stake in the movie Dallas Buyers Club and he actually had a small scene at it, he was a bartender where Matthew McConaughey comes into the bar and starts screaming at people and Adam Dunn just kind of goes like this at the bar. And there was the whole debate for like a week as to whether Adam Dunn would leave camp and go to the Oscars or whether he wouldn't. And I think Robin Ventura definitely said, go to the Oscars. So he went to the Oscars. There's probably others that I'm forgetting. I mean, AJ Brzezinski hit a, inside the park Homer one year, which was uh, a just tremendous, you know, that someone actually went the extra mile during spring training to hit an inside the park Homer, you know, and um, just stuff like that, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's, I always tell people it's the best time of year for fans because players are very laid back. I mean, you know, obviously they want are some are fighting to make the team, but it's a good time to, you know, kind of meet the players when they're coming off the field, they'll stop and sign on the backfields. You get that close on the backfields where you're really right near where they're practicing. You don't really get that close unless you know people, I guess at the ball at the regular season ball fields. So, and it's just, you know, it's not expensive. It's not as cheap as it used to be, but, it's still not expensive. And there's a lot of good things to do in the Glendale, Phoenix Valley area. So, you know, it, it, it's, I always I recommend people to, if you've never done spring training and you have any interest in baseball or just sports in general, it's a good visit to make, good trip to make. But those are just a few of the stories that I remember. I also remember one other one. One year we were out to, you know, a lot of times the Beat will go out with their manager during spring training and we went out to dinner with Ozzy at this steakhouse, which I don't think exists anymore in uh, Tucson called McMahon's. And we're i don't know if i should tell this but we were at a, we're at the bar afterwards and the lady who was there i guess she was the bar manager wasn't very pleasant to us like we were fine we were just talking to her but she wasn't very pleasant and uh she didn't recognize ozzy which is amazing because ozzy was like the king of tucson everyone knew ozzy and there was ozzy and me and two other writers and uh finally at near the end of the evening we were sitting there someone walked over to her and told her who he was and she came over and she's like Hey, you guys know all these drinks around the house, right? This is all on us, no problem. So she had no clue it was Ozzy I, again. I don't know how you don't know who Ozzy is because he was this after he had won the World Series, and he already was, you know, the king out there. So, but just just kind of a funny moment there. there. There's just there's all sorts of good times, interesting meetings. You know, you run into people you haven't seen for a while in spring training. It's it's a good experience. Yeah, no, that's crazy that she wouldn't know who Ozzy Ginn is.
0: Um, you know, I, I remember kind of like growing, like growing up with that team a little bit, and I remember having buddies who weren't like really too big into baseball, but they'd watch enough Sports Center. They'd be like, "Ozzy Ginn's crazy!" Like some of the things he said. Like, like he, th- there was another clip on Sports Center Day. He's just going off, and you know, of course, anytime he'd have one of those moments, they would play that every hour on the hour. But no. The- those those are great. And I can only imagine just knowing what I know about AJ Przezinski that
3: everyone in that locker room heard about the fact that he hit that inside the park home run. <laughs> I forgot who was playing third for the opposing team, but he said he like when AJ got to third he said something like you better get moving or something like that and he, he made it in. I, I don't think I've seen another in twenty two years of spring training, I don't think I've seen another inside the park homer. Because most guys, you know, it bounces away and they just stop and say you don't you don't make the Hall of Fame because you Take the extra base in spring training, you know, especially if you're a veteran whose spot is as AJ's was for, you know, every year he's at the Sox beyond locked. So it wasn't like he was trying to impress everyone. He was the catcher for the White Sox. But I'll I'll never forget that one. I I can't find video of that. It must not have been televised anywhere. But he did hit an inside the park homer for the White Sox during a Cactus League game.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you talked also, Scott, about the the players of spring training in general be more laid back and more, you know, approachable, et cetera, which creates a good atmosphere for fans. And that kind of, you know, made me think about the White Sox as a whole this this year in that they're trying to really change their culture and, and be, you know, looser and faster, you know, insert acronym here. So I just wanted to ask um, based on what you're seeing this year, you know, what are you seeing and hearing that makes you, You know, agree or disagree on whether there actually is a culture shift happening and how valuable that may or may not be.
3: I'll say this one thing I've learned in spring training, you know, covering it as as long as I have, I sound a little like Hawk, right? I've been in this game for parts of three decades. Um, Hawk is the best, by the way. Um, It's just so hard to gauge anything off spring training, you know? I mean, like, I'll say you can gauge some things. For example, Garrett Crochet looked phenomenal against the Dodgers. That was a great first initial step in his move to the rotation. And if he can, the staying close to that, boy, they've got something there, right? Maybe it's not at the outset of the season. Maybe it's a little ways in. And if that's the case, man, that's it. But, I mean, I, there was a pitcher, I'm not going to name him, who I remember one camp, he was a, like a, a veteran-ish guy. He was a non-roster invite. And I remember they were all excited about how he threw in, you know, in bullpens and that kind of thing. And then it came to intersquad squad game, and he was decent in his first spring outing. He, like, hit two guys and he four runs in an inning and he was in, like, the first wave of cuts. So you, you, you just never know. But I will, in answer to your question, I think, for whatever reason, it's a better clubhouse this year. This group really seems to fit well together, and that was always the problem. You know, I, I respect Rick Hahn. I respect Kenny Williams. They won a World Series title, right? There's there's two years in the last how many 120 where a Chicago team has won a World Series title, and they were the architects, and Rick was right there with them, you know. They were the architects of that title. They won the division in 21. You know, I mean, they, they were in the playoffs in 20, and but for whatever reason, they could identify talent. It was just it seemed like there wasn't always perfection on building a team. And I, I think this is the base level for this team. The way I would kind of f- phrase it in a couple of times in newsletters and stories is Chris Getz is trying to build like a, a Fortune 500 company, but this is the beginning of it. This is the startup. So when this company gets to be profitable, some of the people from the startup may not be around. They'll be around, but they won't be with the team anymore. And they they'll be able to say though we were there when it started we helped build this culture and that's what they're looking to do this year now they keep talking about how they want to win and I'm sure they're not you know going in to start ten and fifty and say well we're building the culture so they hope that it trans translates into success on the field or at least competitiveness on the field but you know aside from that I think that's the biggest thing it's hard to really tell past that like you know is this team different is this team hustle more they they all play hard you know no team goes into spring training and just sits there and smokes cigars and says, okay, it's time to go work out. But I do notice, you know, the camaraderie in this group that maybe wasn't quite there last year for this team.
1: You're there with the team most every day. You're seeing the ins and outs of things and you're seeing them talk about this shift in culture in terms of the players themselves. Are there certain guys, maybe you're hearing more about certain guys, maybe fans, you know, aren't talking much about a certain player, but you're hearing this player's name a ton in the clubhouse. Are there examples like that that you're hearing, at least early on in these first few weeks of spring training?
3: I've heard a lot, and this is back to when they got him a Jordan Leisure. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Right? I should probably know that by now. Um, who they've talked about is kind of the closer of the future, and he just pitched his first game Monday after Nastrini. I know they like both those guys from the Dodgers trade, but in terms of, like, the culture building, I think they're just real excited about all the veterans they brought in there, you know? in martin maldonado max stassi i mean i can go up position by position right nikki lopez paul de young um you know some of the veteran relievers that you know brian shaw is back Corey knabel uh dominic leone just you know all, all these guys who some of them have winning experience and that was a part of it and they all have that kind of competitive edge and you know mike soroka put it summed it up well at whatever you want to call the event that was in chicago uh back in i guess it was january right Uh, where he said there's a lot of guys who are kind of fighting for their career or fighting to prove something. You know, he's one. He was great, right, his rookie year. He almost won rookie of the year in the NL. He had the same trajectory then as Jake Berger, where he had a couple Achilles tears, had some shoulder soreness, excuse me, last year. So he's fighting to come back and prove, hey, I can still be a top-line starter, you know. Eric Fetty is another example I've heard good things about. Did not pitch well his first stint with Washington, right? He was not a good starting pitcher, was – unbelievably dominant in Korea, which, you know, from what people say is a, is a pretty competitive league, probably not the major leagues, but competitive. So now he's here to show not only will those numbers translate, but the, all the changes he made will play at the big league level during the second opportunity with the white Sox. So you've heard, you've heard good things. I mean, they're very excited about what they have. You know, I think Chris is, a, you know, knows what he's doing. He's a smart dude. He has a plan. I think it's good that he hasn't gone, too deep with the plan past this year we've kind of pushed him a little bit like you know what do you see in the future and he just he talks kind of in the present that's their big focus so again I think you know let's be honest sometimes the you gotta hustle that's not what we're about if you don't you know take six steps out of the box right away is you know sounds a, a little thin but that's what they're preaching and that at the very base at the very least that's what players should do at this level right and you hope they do more but I think even guys like, you know, Michael Kopech, I think is on a different plane this year. Kind of, he he said it well to me the other day where you don't want to spend too much time thinking about last year, but it's not like it evaporated. So you got to remember what you did wrong and then kind of move on from there. And I think, you know, they've done that well. But again, we'll know more on March 28th, right? That's when it really starts. That's when they start putting the numbers on the back of the baseball cards. But it's a good preparation right now. And it seems like, you know, Pedro's very happy. Pedro's very happy with what they've done. And Chris Getz seems real happy. They all seem happy with the work they've put in. And I think the one difference now between like spring trainings of old is players all come in ready for spring training. Now, like, you know, you heard stories from like Hawk and all that, how they, as an example, how they'd have jobs in the off season and spring training, they came in to kind of get into shape for the season. Now these guys are prepared. If you're not prepared, you're behind. And they really like the work that all these guys put in to get ready for the season.
1: And, you know, you, you actually said something really interesting I'm curious about in, in regards to Chris Getz and the plan, and, you know, like you said, not really planning much beyond this year and kind of sticking at that. I mean, I think he has,
3: but he just hasn't mobilized sure, it yeah. yet. Yeah,
1: Right. I, I'm wondering if you've gotten a sense at all in regards to how he plans to put that together between, Yeah, yeah, he wants to think about this year in terms of the veterans he's brought in to kind of fill all these gaps, but also being mindful of the fact that there are, some young prospect type players he will probably want to see. Have you gotten a sense of maybe how he's trying to, or Pedro Grafal's trying to play the line of both, you know, we we brought these guys in, th- these veterans into play, but also trying to make sure that the next wave of guys who are going to be here once the foundations build are getting their chance.
3: Well, I think it works hand in hand, right? Because when you have these veterans here, it buys you time. I mean, that buys you time. I don't want to make it seem like these guys are all placeholders because they're not. But it allows you to let Colson Montgomery, the number one prospect for the Sox, and I think number nine, according to MLB pipeline overall, let him develop, right? If he needs tell June, you can say, well, we got a good guy in DeYoung to play shortstop. And I'm not saying that when he comes up, it's going to automatically displace DeYoung or whatever. But I think the bottom line on this plan is it's kind of the same that what Rick went through, right? I mean... It's not the rebuild that Rick went through because it's not like stripped to the bone, and you know it's not going to be a three-year, four-year plan. It doesn't look like, but in order to be successful, you got to have some of these guys develop. Which the Sox had some, and then had some kind of fall off, and you got to spend, right? You got to spend at the end to finish it. And I think you can argue the Sox did spend in this last rebuild. I, I believe they, you know, a couple of years ago they had 193 million dollar payroll, but I don't know if they ever finished it. You know, you look at other rebuilds, like let's go across town. John Lester was kind of the finishing move, right, for the Cubs' rebuild. Maybe Hayward, too, because Hayward was a really good leader, played good defense, kind of brought that edge. But I think John Lester was the one where you said, when they I remember being in San Diego when they, everyone, the news broke that he signed with them, like, okay, they're, they're taking that next step. I don't know if the Sox ever did that in the last rebuild, where they put that, the hammer down on that last guy. Now, I'm not saying they have to go get the best guy available when the time comes but they're going to have to spend. They're going to have to add guys, you know, to to do it. So, and to answer your question again, like, I I think you look at a guy like Dylan Cease, who is a top of the rotation guy, whether he's number one, number two, whatever, I think if the team starts off well and a trade pops up for, that makes sense for the Sox, that I think they'll still move Dylan Cease. Now, if they start off 36 and 15 or something like that, that might be a different thing. But I think if they're 500, or a little below and they're right in the thick of the division. I don't think Chris is going to sacrifice. And Rick went through the same thing. Chris is going to sacrifice what might be a competitive year for what could be big moves for the next three or four or five years. And that's, of course, Dylan understands it, but I think it's a mix. You know, I don't think they're, you know, I think they're letting the young guys develop and, you know, there aren't that there's some pitchers I think who are close. I think Jordan's close. I think Nick Nostrini is close. So, I, but I think some position players still have some time to develop. And, you know, a guy like Colson will kind of set the tone when, he, when it's time to, to get up there. But they have some good veterans to do the job for right now. So it's, it's it, the best I can say is it kind of, you know, they work hand in hand.
2: So, switching gears a little bit here, because you also wrote an interesting article the other day about um, Christian Guzman, the new mental performance coach for the White Sox. And mm-hmm. I just find that fascinating because obviously the mental side of baseball is one that is not talked about enough, but it's starting to become, you know, more um, formalized with roles like this, you know, maybe not like, not, not something that people instantly identify with, like hitting coach or pitching coach, but extremely important. So I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about that, and maybe some of the biggest takeaways that you learned from that interview.
3: Yeah, I think first of all, one thing I did forget in that article is they've had a Dr. Jeffrey Fishbine, his name is, and he's worked with them, not in this role, but as part of the staff, for quite a bit of time. And I know the players respond to him too. So he's part of the whole group too, but this is the first time that I can remember. And maybe I'm missing someone way back in like, you know, oh four oh five that they've had an official coach. Who's going to travel. I believe his title is mental skills coach. Who's going to travel with the team. Like all he's going to be there all season. It's not like you can get him when you come back home, you're in Cleveland and you're having something you want to talk about. He's going to be there. So, you know, it was just interesting the way and I think we all can relate to this, right? I think everyone in life, You have to focus on your mental health and it's not always there's so many apps and so many things about lose weight, build up muscle mass, lose muscle mass, you know, and it's all physical oriented. But I think mental health is such an important thing at always, but even more so in our day and age right now with what's going on in life. And I think he's really just a guy there to kind of listen to him. And like he said, I I can't remember the exact quote I had from the story, but kind of maximize what they have and if they get into rough times remind them of what got them there and i know michael Kopeck, who has been so generous to the writers you know and the tv since he's been there and he's been so open uh i remember him talking about you know in his when he was in the minor leagues he talked to me about you know he had i, I guess it would be the yips for a little bit in the minor leagues where he said that if he didn't throw a strike on the first pitch he automatically thought he was going to be in trouble the whole game now he's you know he's in a better place than that. But I know he's very focused on that part of the game. And he was the one who brought him up to me. He was the one who told me that he believes the Sox have taken steps forward by adding Christian Guzman, adding someone to talk to. Dylan Cease is kind of, you know, he's already had that kind of – he's got a different focus, you know, breathing and yoga and that kind of thing. So he knows too. But from the little I've talked to the players, I think it's going to make a difference. I think every little bit helps, right? You want to – as Chris said in a one-on-one I did with him recently about, you know – they put this together and now he's got to make sure the players have what they need. You want to give the players every possible edge you can to be successful and it makes them better people, right? It makes you feel better as a person overall. So I think it's a, it's a really good hire for the white Sox.
1: I think it's an interesting angle too of, you know, Chris Getz comes in, former player comes in, surrounds himself with other former players and then places an emphasis, obviously not leaving behind the analytical side of the game, but just, Making sure, hey, there's still this, too. I think that's an interesting look at things of, you know, not only augmenting, hopefully, the analytics staff and everything that goes along with that, but augmenting what they're doing on the mental side of the game as well, which is kind of fascinating. It's a a different perspective from someone who was there and probably thought or learned the benefits of that sort of person.
3: Jordan and I and Nick, too, have had these debates before about kind of old school versus new school. And I think you got to have a balance, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think, I, I admit, and I admitted this to you guys in our chats before, that I am I lean more towards old school, but there's value in everything. And you got to have, you got to be open to all that. And you look at a guy like Brian Bannister, right, who is very, I haven't talked to him much since he got hired, I think one or two times, but from all the pitchers talk, you know, he really knows kind of the ins and outs of pitching. It's not just, well, you got to do this and this on the mound. You know, he really understands how it goes, and that's an analytic side. But I think you've got to have, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't think a good clubhouse suddenly translates to 61 or 101 to 91 and 71 the next year. But I think it helps. I think, you know, like you look at teams that won. I remember the 2005 White Sox, very tight team. 2016 Cubs, from what I remember, you know, for little I covered them in the postseason and what I heard. Very tight group. You know, they kind of developed together. And maybe that's what they're giving this young group now a chance to do. But I, I think you win as a team. You know, no one wins just because. We have the best analytics. No one wins because we have the best scouting. You win because you have the best approach overall. You have the best complete and total approach overall. Well,
0: you know, I, and I think at the end of the day, you know, you brought up new school, old school. Baseball is such a mental, mentally exhausting sport, especially when you're when you're struggling. It's really nice to be able to have somebody that you can almost consider like a neutral party that isn't necessarily like, you know, making day to day decisions. That you can Absolutely. go out and talk to and really yeah. just bounce it's bouncing stuff off the wall. You know, like what can I do to change what I'm doing? Should I change what I'm doing? Like it's, it's questions that, you know, the best of the best have to ask themselves and being able to kind of have that outlet to be able to go to those
3: guys. I think it is really beneficiary. I really do. Well, I mean, baseball is a game of failure, right? I mean, if you're, if you get four hits in every 10 at bats, you're historic. You're one of the few guys who ever hit 400 in a season. If you have a 3.00 ERA, you're probably in Cy Young consideration, right? So you're giving up three runs every nine innings. Again, very good, but not like minuscule. So it's a game based on failure. And you have to. it's how you handle that. I mean, I think Michael admitted this a couple of times, and you could see in his body language that during that rough state, a real rough second half, and he's talked about this ad nauseum, you could see him kind of affected when someone hit a home run off him or he'd get out of the zone for a little bit. So I think that's part of it. You know, that's it's all part of it for – And everyone has different triggers for that. Some people handle it better. Some people are calmer. I know I'm completely type A. You know, wireless goes out in the press box and I completely lose. And I could use someone to talk to me at that point. (laughs) Some people do. They usually just tell me to shut up. It's coming back, you know? So, But I mean, it's everyone has different ways of reacting. Some people just process it internally and can chill. And some people get, you know, fired up about it. Some people take a small thing and feel like it's kind of, you know, doomed after that. So I think, you know, having having again having the best way to improve the team at all angles is what chris is looking for this year yeah
0: no it's uh it's definitely something i'm excited to see you know especially uh me being a big fan of michael kopech uh just seeing the raw talent in him even when he struggles um you know i i think that's someone who can really benefit from working with a guy like this just just based on being able to see what he can do when he's confident
3: oh yeah he had a couple ridiculous games last year right i mean he I think he one hit the Royals right over eight innings and struck out 10, or maybe it was the Guardians, and they did the same to the Yankees, I want to say, like in a, in a three-star span, I believe. So when he's on, he can be one of the best. You know, Martin Maldonado said that, that we asked what he could be, and he said he could be an all-star. You know, and I think he really can do that. It's just consistency at this point, getting it over the course of 32,
0: 33, versus 14 or 15. Yeah, 100%, being able to get him kind of in that rhythm and just being – used to success and also being used to how to handle failure, you know, cause that is a big part of it. Um, You know, kind of, kind of shifting gears here a little bit, you know, you talked about consistency. I think it's pretty fair to say that the White Sox have been pretty consistent as far as the play-by-play guys that they've brought in. You know what I mean? Pretty decorated history, you know, even going back to when Harry Carey was calling the team, right. you know, to, to Hawk Harrelson, to Jason Benetti, who we just had the privilege of having in the booth the last, you know, a couple years here. And now, uh, now you, you just did an interview with the new guy, you know, the new, new kid on the block, if you will. Um, John, uh, John Schreffen, uh, somebody, somebody that, uh, a lot of people probably weren't totally familiar with when he was originally hired. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of those fans that are going to kind of be beholden to Jason Benetti just
3: because they've gotten really comfortable with that and they should be Jason's top-notch broadcaster right they shouldn't be beholden they should appreciate what he did he's phenomenal there's no question about it. yeah
0: 100% I agree and I,
3: I love listening to him on football and baseball I think he is genuinely one of the best out there just like not to interrupt when when Hawk left Hawk is a legend right Hawk is part of White Sox lore I mean I can't tell you the amount of times where I'll be watching a Michigan game and say oh man great shot missed it though mercy you know or you know you can I mean his AJ said this once to me that you know Hawk's vernacular has become part of everyday language for people. That's how popular he was. So just like when Jason took over for Hawk, you don't have to push Hawk aside because you appreciate Jason. And the same thing I think now that John is on there, that you, you know you certainly you'll see Jason quite a bit. He's a Tigers play that play guy now, but I mean you can appreciate him and still give John a chance to show what he can do out there.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's the biggest thing is I want. I want fans to legitimately give him a chance because I remember when when Benetti took over for Hawk, there was a little bit of that period where, you know, you had a lot of fans being like, oh, you know, I miss Hawk Harrelson. I wish we never got rid of Hawk Harrelson, you know, just because Jason was a little different. And I want people to understand, right. you know, Jason went from that to being one of the most beloved White Sox play by play guys that we've that we've had that most people have, have ever, ever heard. You know, I mean, some people love talk. Some people didn't. Some people love Jason. Some people didn't. You know, so I, I right. really think people need to give John a chance. Um, in, in your defense of John, you know, being able to talk to him, being able to kind of have a discussion with him, you know, see what he kind of brings to the table. What do you think White Sox fans should look for that they will really enjoy in what he brings to the game?
3: I would have to preface it by saying I don't know him that great yet. You know, I've had, I had a pretty extensive interview right before he got the job. Then he did a Zoom call the next day. We talked a little bit after his second game on Saturday in the press box. There, I, I think he's you know going to have a lot of energy. He seems very excited. He seems very excited to work with Steve, you know, who's arguably one of the best analysts ever to call baseball, right? And I just think he, he wants to get to know the players. He wants to bring that excitement and you know extra info to the to the fans out there. So he's ready to go. You know, he had a busy schedule this last week, and I, I'm trying to think I can remember this all it was Washington and Arizona State Thursday. Made his debut with the Sox Friday at Sloan against the Cubs. Flew home to Vegas that night to broadcast the Ignite, which is the G League team for Las Vegas, who he's the voice of. Flew back on Saturday for the Sox game. Uh, Did the Arizona State-Washington State game Saturday night, men's basketball. Flew home to do the G League game again on Sunday. So that's, that's a busy man. Now, Once the season starts, he will be focused primarily on the White Sox. It's going to be a lot of White Sox games for him. So he's immersed. He's ready to go. He's very excited. The Sox are excited to have him. This is a younger guy who, you know, if things go right, will grow. And like Jason, could be the decade-long voice of this team. He's got a great guy to work with. And Steve Stone, who knows the sport inside out. So, you know, it should be. We'll see. It should be. I, I think it'll be a good pairing. Again, I don't know. I haven't, you know, I don't know John's work that well. Um, I knew Jason's work because I knew you know, I, and I got to know Jason as much his work as much for his big 10 calls and his football and basketball almost more than baseball because I just didn't hear him that much at the ballpark you know but I know he was he's one of the top broadcasts in the game and I think John is on that direction too so I, I think energy yeah that's what John has stressed a couple different times also very unique background you know once worked for ABC News not a lot of Play-by-play guys who were featured on Nightline, and he is—he is one of those. He's had some interesting stories about that.
1: Merck, before we let you go, I—I I fancy you as usually you're a pretty positive guy. You can find a lot of positivity. You always have good things to say about
3: people. You clearly—you clearly haven't been around me that much then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You put on a good facade then, and that. I, I guess is. so. I guess so. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to perform a little bit more of that uh, positivity here as we send you out. You know. Given how the past few seasons have gone for White Sox fans, I don't know how much time you spend on social media, but fans are not happy. Too too much, probably. Yeah, you spend a little bit too much. If you do, you've probably seen. Fans are not happy. I'm sure people are in your comments, on your tweets sometimes. I'm probably one of them. I'm not going to pretend I'm perfect. Fans are not happy. And I think for someone like you who's close to the team, especially now in spring training and throughout the year, you've gotten to know Griffo a little bit both last year and part of spring training this year for a fan base that is just striving for something to hold on to something that, (laughs) you know, is going to make them want to watch this year. What have you seen? What have you heard that you can not confidently, but at least kind of feel good in saying, here's a reason for white Sox fans to stay tuned in throughout this season.
3: Well, I think we can start with the basics, right? The last two years were awful. 2022, they were the definition of mediocrity they never got below five under. They never got above five over. They were in it just enough to keep fans interested and then annoy them when they, you know, couldn't come through. I mean, they literally hung in that division, which was not good that year until the middle of September, and then they lost eight in a row at home, right, to the, the guard. Not eight in a row, all at home. It was, uh, I think, like six or seven at home, and then they lost a couple of Minnesota, and then it was done. Cleveland ran away with it and then people thought well this is bad you know tony was it was not healthy that year he ended up having to leave for cairo and you thought okay well 23 can't be worse and it, as the old saying goes 23 said hold my beer um <laughs> it was it was awful it was a, it was probably the worst year i've covered on of the team because you know i don't know if they were contenders for the championship but they were supposed to be division contenders you know they were just they were a 500 team at least in 22 you know they were 81 and 81 i believe they finished and they were one that was one year removed from winning the division and it just, everything that could go wrong went wrong last year. So I think that's going to be better. You know, I mean, are they going to be in division contention? I, I don't know. You know, surprising things happen. Look what Arizona did last year. Look what Texas did, right? Texas went from 69 wins to the world series title. Texas also spent a large sum of money to bring guys in there. So that makes a difference. But I, I think you're going to, the fans will probably like the style of play. Now, Pedro has stressed that a few times. And what I think to myself is, as a fan of certain things, you know, like Michigan football and all that, like, it's great to like the style of play. But you know what I liked is Michigan going 15-0 last year and winning the national title. Liking the style of play and seeing them go 9-3 is like, oh, it was a good season. But you want you, what fans want is wins, and the Sox fans want wins. And to Sox fans' eternal credit, they embraced that rebuild like none other. You know, I mean, I was there – when Moncada got called up, hit a foul ball, and got a standing ovation. You know, I was there when people went nuts when they announced on Twitter that Michael Kopech was making his debut on, like, a Tuesday in one of his, like, four rain starts that year in his first season. So I get it. They they felt like – you guys all felt like you went through it. Now there's some dividends. So you may have to wait a little while. But, again, also you should remember that there's some good veterans on this team. I think you're going to see guys like Moncada and Jimenez and Vaughn Take another step forward this year, um, I, and I think they've built up a decent young base now. And part of that credit goes to Rickon and Kenny last year because they made some good trades at the deadline. That looks like they brought in, you know, Nystreni, Caro, Leisure. I'm going to leave some guys out, so I'm not going to list every trade they made. But you know, there's some good, and, and they developed some guys for the draft. So I think there's some hope. But again. You got to let it play out on the field so we won't know until we see. You know, I mean, really, if you think about last year, it was, a, it was a debacle, right? But think about early on last year. You know, they had pretty good first series against Houston, did not play well against the Giants. They eventually go on that road to Tampa. They're up in the ninth inning of that game. Now, you couldn't plan on, you know, what happened to Liam Hendricks, and God bless him for beating cancer and now coming back from his Tommy John and ready to go. That's the most important thing, far more important than anything baseball-wise. But you have Lopey, who's, you know, Ronaldo Lopez, who's not really – used to the closing role. He gives up the walk-off home run to Brandon Lau that Friday. They get swept in Tampa. Maybe they win that Friday. I'm not saying that they finish with 93 wins and win the division. Maybe that's a different thing. You know, they had a couple of those losses early on. But they weren't a good team, and it was not a fun team to watch. And it ended up, unfortunately, for Rick and Kenny, you know, having them moved out of their role. So I guess the best thing I can say is I I think the style is going to be different. I think there's going to be more energy. I think you're going to see some young guys over the course of the year infuse into the team. I think you're going to see some guys who've struggled the last couple of years or not struggled per se. I wouldn't say Andrew Vaughn has struggled. I wouldn't say Aloy has struggled, but I think may go to where you expect them to be a little closer. So I think, you know, and again, as many of the Sox people have said to me, without naming names, we like what we have. What that translates to on the field, we don't know yet. And that's about the best you can say is they, they've built what they want. And now they're going to let it play out and see what happens.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think there's a lot of people expecting a ton of success right out the gate. I don't think there's no, I, I think more no. people are
3: siding on them. If this team. won 75 games this year, but you guys are all fans, right? What would you say? If I told you if we're talking on, I forgot when the season ends, like September 28th, if we're, we do this, another podcast then, and I say, well, they won 75. What would your reaction be? You'd be thrilled probably. Right. You know, considering what you know about the team right now and, and what happened last year. And, that's a 14 win difference, you know, from what they did last year. So I mean, if they I think if they can be competitive and set the base for then what's gonna, you know, be adding on more significance and you know, adding on more players to what they have already, then it would be it would be a good season overall. And if they somehow, not somehow, if they end up being a, a vastly improved team and are in our contention, well, all the better. And then it'll be a decision for Chris to look at and see what he has there, you know, going forward.
0: I, I think at the end of the day, you know, people are coming into this with a lot lower expectations than they've come in with the last couple of years. I, I think it's more right. intrigued than anything. I think they really want to see what these guys are made of. I think they want to see yeah. what Pedro Grafal with an opportunity of two two off-seasons to kind of get this get the ball rolling here. I, I think they want to see what that turns into. And I think they want to see what Chris Getz can do with the moves that he made. You know, I, I, I think a lot of them have really flown under the radar as uh, you know. Royals moves I guess would be the best way I could put it um right, but I, right. I, I I think it's I, I'm actually kind of excited what good or bad I'm excited to see what some of these guys can do because I think it'll answer a lot of questions of where this team goes next year
3: I think that's the best two words you can say right excited and intrigued and and you could throw a third one in there and be pessimistic but maybe that will be washed away when you say let's say they start off and they're like 20 and 30 but you're like you know what I liked what they're doing and I see like six or seven guys who are going to be the core of this group when they get good. So, you know, it's, it's hopeful. So I guess excited, uh, energy, hope and go from there. See what they have. Intrigue. Something like a mystery novel, something like a James Bond movie.
0: <laughs> I don't even want to pretend to try to make a movie title off the top. I'll just sound stupid, but, <laughs> but, but Scott, it's been great having you on here. You've been covering the team for 22 years. Hopefully we see a lot more down the road here. Um, always appreciate you having, uh, having you on. And hopefully
3: we see you down the trail again here soon. Always like talking to you guys. Thanks for having me. And I want to point out that the 22 years is four and a half years longer than Ethan Salas has been alive. That's amazing to me that that guy is <laughs> one of their top prospects. And he's 17, like still, like, I think two months, three months, short of being 18. It's insane to me. Good for him.
0: Though. Great having you on Scott.
3: All right, guys. Thanks.
0: Scott Merkin's a good guy. He's, uh, he's been uh, been on the show a couple times. Believe that was the second time he's been on the show. Definitely, definitely somebody who is very familiar with the Chicago White Sox. You know, just just by the nature of being around them, being familiar with those guys. You know, you see you see a lot of the same faces. Um, you know, he probably talks to people within the organization that we we probably don't even realize are there. So uh, it's always good to get some insight from him. Uh, definitely somebody who's always got his uh, finger on the button. You know, def- definitely a positive guy. Um, but you know sometimes in this uh, in this fan base and in this uh, Chicago Chicago media in general, as far as sports go, sometimes you need a little bit of positivity. So it's always nice to get Scott on here and kind of uh, hear him really sell the white socks to us.
1: And the reality of it too, is things have been so overly negative. I don't mind taking a step back and saying, okay, it's nice to hear that again, for better or for worse, Chris Getz feels like he's got what he wants for this team right now. I think some of what Merck said kind of makes me feel good about the idea that there's a decent plan moving forward for this team. I've been incredibly critical. I won't deny that. But at the same time, I think I'm willing to let it play out. And I think what Merck was able to go through with us and just give us a little bit of information on I guess some of the excitement, some of the intrigue comes back. Some of those same buzzwords we were using right at the end there. It comes back a little bit to where let's get through some of these just terrible spring training games. Let's whittle down this roster a little bit and let's make the second half of this spring a little bit more interesting and hopefully leads into a more interesting season. But overall, thank you to Scott. He does an awesome job with things and just wish he wasn't such a big Michigan fan that's my only gripe about him
2: (laughs) no yeah I mean it's definitely cool to have him on here and I feel every time we have him on we get a new random you know story from his days covering the White Sox that is honestly I I would love to do like not not this realistic not that he would want to do this but like a three-hour, like, Scott Merkin tells all. There's, like, random stories from his <laughs> 22 years. Bit. How many Ozzy bar stories do you think
1: are in those?
2: Right, exactly. And probably a few <laughs> of those. Like, he just has so much to say. But but it's very good to hear. I completely agree with you guys, um, especially hearing some about like, the prospects and the fact that Crochet, I mean, we all saw him look good, but, like, Scott is actually there and, you know, can confirm things in a way that we can't. So it, it's nice to hear. It's, it's, like you guys said, very different from the usual you know, Twitter podcast kind of and, and we're part of this, but you know, we like to tell it like it is and not that Scott doesn't, but he also sees things that we don't. So it, it helps balance things out a bit.
0: Yeah, I mean it's always it's always a, a good sign when you see Scott get a little bit more positive about the White Sox on Twitter. Um, especially in a time where people are kind of on the edge about whether a certain move is positive or not, or whether or not somebody's gonna take that next step, because that usually means He's kind of seeing something that's building that we're probably not. So it's usually kind of like a kind of like a bat signal, if you will. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I'm also with you, Jordan. I'm really glad I didn't have to hear about uh, Michigan going undefeated and win, winning the national championship for about 30 minutes on this episode. So for that, Scott, we thank you. But with that said, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's all we have this week for the Sox on 35th podcast. Um, we are heading into 2024 strong. So be sure to subscribe to that podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you hear podcasts. Also be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoxOn35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined as always by Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. We'll be back next week as we cover a – well, we will be back when we're back. We're not not quite weekly yet. Spring training's got to get a little bit more exciting before we can – Pull the trigger on something like that, but we will eventually be back week to week as we cover another week of White Sox baseball. Thank you, and go Sox! Go Irish and go Sox! <laughs> I would say go blue, but I don't even care. Go Sox! <laughs>